Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. Whether we're aware of it or we're not, God, we pause and we are grateful for that. And the Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would come and that you would fill us with your energy and your life. For those of us that are here and we're unaware of that life source, God, that you would just make us very aware of it today. God, and we ask that your mission and your movement would continue moving forward and all of the power and passion and purpose that you have, not only for us, but for the world around us, God. I thank you for how good you are as we sang this morning. Make us aware of your goodness. Forgive us for the places where we have been unwilling to see your goodness or acknowledge it, and we've chosen anything else but that, God. So this morning, I ask that you would move in us and through us, that we might be made new as a result of gathering here together. So we thank you, and we look to you as the author and the finisher of our lives and our faith, and we we are grateful. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we opened a, a conversation that's actually one of my favorite conversations, and it was a conversation around forgiveness. And we had a really robust conversation around what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, because I think there's oftentimes a lot of confusion about that. In fact, when I talk to people, smaller groups, are about forgiveness, and we have that conversation, if there's 20 people in the room, we usually have 20 different opinions and thoughts about what forgiveness actually means. And that leads to a breakdown, because I actually don't think it's the act of forgiving that keeps people from engaging in this powerful spiritual act. I think it's just the confusion around what forgiveness is. And so when you get down to a, the, like the core concept of what it is, I find that people are actually pretty excited about forgiving and entering into that space because at the end of the day, forgiveness is about reclaiming your power. At the end of the day, forgiveness is about reclaiming your freedom and it's about reclaiming your future. It's a declaration that my energy and my life and all of me is no longer going to be going into attempt to make up for what others have stolen from me. That my energy and my life and everything that's inside of me is going to no longer attempt to make up for some perceived deficit in my life. That my energy and my time and the giftings inside of me are going to start living a life that is clear about where I'm headed rather than making others pay. And there's a powerful transition that happens in life when we are willing to enter into this space of forgiveness. See, forgiveness is releasing the debt that someone else owes me so that I can be free. 
so that I can live my life, so that I'm no longer stuck in this prison cell of resentment and bitterness. And it's the power to forgive. It comes from recognizing how much we have been forgiven. That's where the power of it comes from. See, I know for me, whenever I struggle to forgive, it's usually because I'm not clear about how much I have been forgiven in life. And so I don't have a lot of power then to forgive others, their debts. It's why in the scriptures that we say, Father, forgive our trespasses as you have forgiven ours, right? Forgive forgive others. We forgive others as you have forgiven ours. See, because when we account for that, how much we have been forgiven, it opens up a whole context to freely give forgiveness to others. Here's the beautiful thing. It also then gives God room to return to us what was taken. See, as long as we are out there trying to make people pay and trying to make up for the deficit and trying to hold other people for what they have done, God doesn't really have a lot of room to pour into us. He's kind of just waiting for you to say, hey, I'm willing to give up that game and that role. I don't do it that well anyway, so that you can actually come and release that. There isn't a lot of room for him to move when we're playing that role. But when we forgive, we are actually promised healing and abundance to come in that space. This is where life more abundant comes in. When when the scriptures talk about that, it's not like, hey, you're going to get a Ferrari and a giant bank account. (laughs) What that means is that you are going to have an abundance of forgiveness available that will then lead to a life that that feels full. Because all that energy that was being zapped into making up for what you didn't have can now be used to give away and towards the vision that God has placed in your heart, towards serving the world in a powerful and profound and evocative way. And it's a choice. That's simply what forgiveness is. It's not a feeling. It's not due to circumstances. It's a choice that we make from moment to moment to moment that those who are committed to being free will make over and over and over again. If you're someone who's like, yes, I would like my life to be defined as free, then you will engage this spiritual practice on a regular basis. And today we're going to look at another aspect of forgiveness in this whole arena. Now, here's what I found in life is that the things that deteriorate our faith, the things that start to erode at what we stand on and what we believe and how we engage this spiritual world around us, the things that that deteriorate there are actually not usually outright heresy. So, so, so it, look, if you believe that God doesn't exist, that's not going to deteriorate your faith. You're just not going to have, like, a foundation to build faith on. If, if, you, if you believe that God exists but that he's, like, malevolent and out to get you, you're just not going to be able to build a foundation underneath you. See, what I found is the things that start to deteriorate our faith, that, that erode at our ability to step into a powerful spirituality, are the things and the places where they sound good, but they start to replace the things that are actually true. The things that are like cute cultural messages that we put on memes and that we put on our desks at the office, but aren't actually true. Like, like I always, in this forgiveness conversation, I always run into this phrase that often people use, you know, we need to forgive and forget, which is actually not true. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to forget what has taken place in the, in the past. In fact, it can be very healthy, and it's, it's a actually very powerful practice to not necessarily forget what has happened. This doesn't mean, hey, I run back to my abusers, or I give people license to step all over me. It doesn't mean that I say, hey, it's okay what you did. Actually, there are some times and spaces where it's very healthy to remember, but to release the control that it has over you. So, so, so forgive and forget is like one of those cute memes or cultural ideas that doesn't really fly. 
If you've been around long enough, you know that I, I think this phrase, you are good enough, is absolutely silly. It's a cute meme, but it actually does not mean anything because I guarantee you that if you lock yourself into a room for a month, you'll realize that you are not enough, (laughs) that you need other people, that you need community, you need food and water, certainly, and you need all kinds of other type of human connections to actually move forward. So if you're just living your life trying to convince yourself that you are enough, you are going to constantly find yourself struggling. At a spiritual level, there's other cute phrases that we even use in worship, like, all you need is Jesus. Again, I encourage you to try locking yourself in a room and saying, all I need is Jesus. It will be very difficult. (laughs) Now, I get the sentiment, right? Like, hey, I want to rely on Jesus. I want to connect to him. But the way that you rely on Jesus is that you actually connect to people who are filled with Jesus, and you start relying on them. (laughs) The, the, The other way that you do that is you start connected to his voice and you engaging in his can you engage in his community and then you'll start realizing what I actually need is Jesus and people because that's where Jesus lives and so we have all these cute phrases that sound good but actually start to deteriorate the truth they sound great but if you actually live them you'll find yourself exhausted and if you engage them at a full level you will actually find yourself feeding your own anxiety and uncertainty because they are actually unattainable They're impossible to live out in this life. And so here's the other thing that I've noticed about them. When you bring them up, there's a lot of resistance to engaging something else. There's a lot of of resistance because our culture has just programmed us with certain ideas that sound good but aren't true. And so when you confront them, there's this level of resistance that comes up. Like, hey, I don't actually want to engage this. I don't want to see something different. I don't want to have something different. And so there's a resistance that comes up around this because they are just universally accepted as true, even though they don't actually jive with how God has set up the world. And we're going to engage today one of those just universally accepted good ideas. But from my perspective, what I can read in the scriptures are actually just not true. And I guarantee you, you will find your resistance rising up as we have this conversation. See, I actually find that when people talk about forgiveness, when I talk about it, and I do a lot, that people, like I said, get grasp it quite easily. When they get that, hey, this is about me, this is about my freedom, this is about me stepping into my purpose and passion, like, great, sign me up for that. In fact, when they see who forgiveness is for and how it impacts them, they're like, yep, let's do that. Or at least people are open to the idea of forgiveness. They're at least like, hey, this is, this is, a, this is a good concept. But there is one area of forgiveness that is both something that sounds good but actually isn't true. And it's an area that most people, I find, get hung up on. See, I find that most people are okay with forgiving others, but where people get hung up is this idea of forgiving yourself. That's where people get hung up on more than anything else, I find. See, the idea of releasing others so that you can be free seems very doable. Sounds even promising in the middle of all that, yes? But forgiving ourselves seems to be where things start to grind to a halt. And you might be one of those people You might be one of those people that struggled with things that you did or didn't do in life, those things that you could or couldn't do, those things that you should have done or shouldn't have done. Maybe that list is really big for you in life. And Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness, a lot. In fact, he talked about it a lot more than most subjects. And so I'd like to actually go to the place in the scriptures where Jesus talks about how we forgive ourselves. 
And this is what he says. Oh, wait, he doesn't actually ever talk about it. There's actually nowhere in the scriptures where Jesus says you're supposed to forgive yourself. Kind of strange, right? You would think such a a big cultural conversation would be filled with the scriptures about how we are to forgive ourselves and to release ourselves and to, to set ourselves free. You think that Jesus would have something to say about that, but he doesn't. So where's the rub? Why is it that we struggle with this concept so much and Jesus is completely silent on this idea? See, I think Jesus talked about forgiveness so much because it was clearly his life mission. The entire arch of the arc of the story of Jesus, his entire narrative was moving towards this moment, his peace de resistance, the cross, where he would eventually forgive anyone that came to him, that he created a way and a space to be forgiven in the middle of this. And the cross was the moment where Jesus said, I am securing the possibility for forgiveness for you and the world. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says this, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the richness of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put together, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. See, the cross was God's ultimate movement towards forgiveness. This was his checkmate in life of saying forgiveness is now secured for you. And looking at all of the brokenness and the debt that we owed him in the world, he chose not only to forgive, but to reconcile the relationship, to make sure that the relationship was now in good standing. See, sometimes it's appropriate to forgive and, and not necessarily reconcile the relationship. It's like, hey, I'm releasing you from your debt, but I'm not really up for having that type of relationship. There's a healthy space for that when, when it's just not a good idea to enter back into the relationship. But the powerful thing about the cross, that moment, was it was God sacrificing himself, saying, not only am I creating a space for forgiveness, but I'm also creating a space for reconciliation so that you can be forgiven of the debt that you owe me, but we can also enter back into relationship with one another. So the message of the cross, if you were just to boil it down, is this, you are forgiven. I have no interest in holding anything against you. In fact, my ultimate desire is to be back in relationship with you outside of shame, outside of judgment, outside of condemnation. I'm not interested in any of that. You are forgiven and there is a pathway for relationship if you would like it. This is what God declares in this moment. And the language around God's forgiveness, it's so powerful because it uses words like it's a gift that it is freely given. Paul says here that it is lavished on us. 
This wasn't God like, hey, you know, here, here's some forgiveness if you want it, and you could be reconciled if you... No, he's like, I'm lavishing this. It's a gift. It's freely given. Please come and take it so that you can live a free life. And the beautiful thing is the scriptures say that all we need to access this forgiveness is two things, to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that he died and rose again. That's it. See, we way overcomplicate things. We, we, we take faith and we add all this stuff to it. Meanwhile, the scriptures are like, actually, it's just pretty clear that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved from your brokenness and your darkness and your destruction and forgiveness is yours. That's it. And I think this is part of why self-forgiveness is never taught in the scriptures and why it's a concept that sounds good but actually makes no sense at all. Because here's the thing, if forgiveness is the act of releasing someone from the debt that they owe you, then naturally self-forgiveness is the act of releasing yourself from the debt that you owe yourself. Doesn't actually make sense, right? See, like, like we talked about yesterday, last week, most of the metaphors around forgiveness are in monetary language. They use that because that's probably the closest thing to describe what forgiveness looks like. And so if we were putting this into a, to a monetary metaphor, it would essentially say, hey, I took some money out of my bank account and I gave it to myself. So I put it back into my bank account, but now I owe myself a debt that I have to give myself back while I simultaneously hold the money that I owe myself. And so now, self-forgiveness is telling myself, self, even though you have the money, you owe me, and I'm going to release you from the money that you owe me. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? <laughs> and so it breaks down. No wonder why we struggle with the concept of it. No wonder why we as a species are trying to figure out how do we forgive ourselves in the middle of all this. And then on top of that, when you consider the attitude behind this, that I owe myself something, we call that entitlement in life. So, so the whole concept of self-forgiveness is actually filled with entitlement. Notice the resistance yet? See, this is why we struggle with this, because what the scriptures call us to is not forgiving ourselves. What the scriptures call us to is simply accepting that we have already been forgiven, that the cross was enough. That there is nothing that you or I have to do or accept or work through to get there it's essentially accepting and then living out with complete gratitude the reality that you have been set free, period. There's no asterisk, there's no fine print, there's no, hey, here's also the list of things that you need to do or not to. It's just you're forgiven. And it's your choice as to whether or not you accept that forgiveness or decide if it was good enough for you. Wow. See, this is why we struggle with this. And so I actually want to look at the entitlement behind the concept of self-forgiveness, why we would rather choose to hold on to not forgiving ourselves rather than accepting the free gift that we have been given and walking in that with extreme confidence that it was enough. See, because I, I think there are, 
three clear entitlements that come when we are unwilling to quote-unquote forgive ourselves, when we struggle with this concept. And the first is this, the entitlement of control. Any control freaks in the room? I know I am, clearly. If you've been with me for longer than a month, you will know that. I love how David talks about his own brokenness. He's so honest with it. And this is what he says in Psalms 51, verse 3 through 6. He says, For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. And he's talking to God. He says, Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are, pro- you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time of my, time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Now, I think David got it right and wrong here in this conversation. See, any act of darkness against another human being is also an act of darkness against God. Anytime you violate another human being, you violate God himself because every single human being is an image bearer. Now, I also think he did sin against Bathsheba when he raped her. I also think he did sin against her husband when he had him murdered. But all of that also was a violation against God all at the same time. But the point is being made here. See, if God is the the standard bearer, if he is the original creator and designer of what it means to be human and what it means to be divine all at the same time, and the standard for humanity, what it means to live as we were called, it would make sense that when we deviate from that plan, or we choose something less, then it would be a deviation from God himself. That it would be a a lowering of the standard that God has set for us in this. See, in our home, we have a rule that you don't hit one another. Unless, like, the other kid deserves it, then hit them. But, But we have a general rule that you don't hit one another, right? So if Jackson one day was to go off and slug Colin, which never happens in our household, uh, that, that that would be a violation against Colin, but it would also be a violation against me because I've set the standard for our households in the middle of that. So there is a violation not only against Colin, but also against myself in this. And here's the thing. Let's say hypothetically that this happened one day in the neighbor households. And if my son Jackson, after slugging Colin, came to me and said, Dad, you know what? Hold on. Just just before you talk, just let me tell you something. Um, You know, I don't really need your forgiveness. I'm going to go in my room and I'm just going to forgive myself. That would not fly in our house. Let me just tell you right now. If he, if he just came and he said, he said, you know what? I, I actually don't feel like I, I don't want to receive your forgiveness right now. What I, what I need to do is just go in my room. Let me process this for a little bit. And I'll get back to you once I have forgiven myself. See, it doesn't actually work because he has violated Colin and me. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if he forgives himself. What he actually has to do is receive the forgiveness that is available right there. See, when we enter into self-forgiveness and try to struggle with it, it is an oftentimes a way to stay in control of the situation. Like, I don't want to go to you, and I don't want to go to you. I'm just going to deal with it over here. I'm going to forgive myself for this. See, when you decide that you are going to struggle with this idea of self-forgiveness, it's actually a declaration of two very big things in life. It says, one, I, do not any, I don't need anyone externally to forgive me. 
But the second thing it says is that I am actually capable of forgiving myself for the things that I have done wrong. It is essentially a giant declaration saying, I am in control here. No one else will have control over how I have chosen to act. And let's be honest, the decision, the willingness to simply sit back and receive forgiveness, it's a really vulnerable place, isn't it? It's an incredibly vulnerable place. It requires us trusting that God is who he says he is and that he will give it to us freely. It requires humility to lay down our own need to control the situation. It actually requires us to seek out someone other than ourselves to be forgiven in the process of of that. It actually requires us coming to God and trusting his character. That when he says, you are forgiven, that he actually means that in this space and ultimately releasing our control to make up for the past when it's already been made up for when it's already been covered, when it's already been forgiven. And that, that can be a scary place to trust that God will actually do what he says he's going to do or probably more accurately that he's already done what he said he did. See, likewise, it would be equally a painful struggle to watch my son go into his room and beat himself up for what he's done and struggle emotionally and physically with all of the choices from his past and be unwilling to simply come to me and say, hey, dad, I would like to receive your forgiveness. It would kill me as a father if I knew that he was alone working this out himself when it was completely unnecessary. But that's what happens when we attempt to enter into self-forgiveness as we essentially go into our room and struggle unnecessarily when the whole time God is saying, you are forgiven. If you would be willing to release control and receive it. But see, until we are willing to release control and simply receive the forgiveness that's already been paid for, we get stuck in this cycle of attempting to make up for it. And I can only imagine how much it grieves God when we attempt to forgive ourselves. See, there's this other entitlement that comes when we enter into or attempt to enter into self-forgiveness and is the entitlement of needing to be right. See, why do we hold on to so much of our past and then struggle with releasing it, even forgiving it from ourselves? We, we, why do we struggle with even forgiving ourselves completely in the middle of this? See, here's the thing. Our egos do a lot of things for us. They're designed to do a lot of things for us. But one of the things that our egos are designed to do for us is to keep us safe. That's what your ego is designed for. And one of the way that they do that, one of the way that your ego, and when I talk about your ego, I'm talking about that little voice inside of your head that's always talking. One of, the re- one of its primary jobs is to keep you safe. And one of the ways that it does that is that it keeps the world around us predictable. That we know exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And we make sure that we know exactly how life is going to turn out, including who we are. That we like to be very certain about who we are, about what we're capable of, what we're not capable of, about what we can do and what we can't do, of who we are and who we aren't, of what's available to us and what's not available to us, of all the junk from our past and how that currently defines our future. And we like to be dead set right about that. So one of the ways 
that our ego does that for us is that we stay right. We are committed to being right about who we are and how our past defines us. Because here's the thing, predictability is safe. Being right, even about the things in our past that haunt us and that bring wounds and pain and keep us up at night, even the things we want to be released from, we just hold on to because we would rather be right about our past than step into a future that seems so unpredictable at times. And it causes us to take all that energy and to prove how unworthy we are, to prove how lack of power, how much power I don't have, to prove how I can't be healed, to prove how it's impossible to move forward, to prove how this is not available to me here and now. And you see this all throughout the scriptures. I mean, there's this moment where Jesus comes to this man who wants to be healed, and he's been sitting at this pool for 37 years, and Jesus comes to him, and he asks him the question, do you want to be healed? And you would think his first answer would be yes, but this is what he replies to Jesus. He says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one helping me in the pool when the water is stirred. Why am I trying, when I'm trying to get in, no one, or someone else goes ahead of me. So when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He gives him an excuse about how he's right that he can't be healed. Right. When Jesus meets this woman at this well who he shouldn't be talking to because she is essentially an oppressed class that the Jews would never speak to. When Jesus says, hey, could we essentially enter into this conversation by you giving me a drink? She replies to him, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? So even when Jesus is humbling himself and saying, hey, I want to connect with you, she's like, no, let me tell you about all the cultural norms why this is not okay. And then Moses, when when God's like, hey, you're it, man. You're the dude. They're going to make all kinds of movies about you later. And there's going to be all kinds of things. There's going to be like a a feature film. And he's like, you are it. What I need you to do is I need you to go talk to Pharaoh for me. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. So when Jesus says, hey, I have, when God comes to him and says, I have called you to go talk to Pharaoh, he gives him an excuse as to why he cannot go talk to Pharaoh. Because they were dead set about being right about what was not available to them. Wow. So these clearly aren't past sins, but are all examples of needs of being right about who we are and aren't before we move forward into the future that God's called us to. And so if I'm right about always being the one who has the sickness or the illness or the disorder that can't keep me from moving forward like the man in Bethesda, I don't actually have to believe for healing. If I get to be right about being the oppressed or being the one who is outcast like the woman at the well, I don't actually ever have to serve or choose to be free. If, if I am the one whose past is filled with regret and incompetent like Moses, I don't ever have to put myself out there. If I am the one whose past is filled with horrible terribles that I can never overcome, I actually never have to step into my future. See, for some of us, we are just proving the story right. And it isn't just about what you can or can't do based on your past. It's about what God can or cannot do based on what he has given you. And so I get to be right about how I can never forgive myself. About how 
This is just going to be with me forever and limit what's possible in my life. See, I am constantly proving right how small and how broken and how incapable I am of stepping into what's next. Meanwhile, this is God's conversation over us. In Psalms 103, God's like, hey, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's like, you can keep trying to prove this small, insignificant, I can't, I'm incapable, I'm competent based on what I have done, not done, what other people have done, not done. Meanwhile, I'm over here like, I've forgotten it. I have literally released you from every single sin, brokenness, decision, wound that you have ever had. Now, that doesn't mean the pain doesn't go away. It doesn't mean that there's not still hurt when you think about it. It doesn't mean that there's not still some regret. But that does not have to define you in any way, shape, or form. And we're over here going, no, yes, it does. When he has forgotten about it. See, if God is not holding our sins against us, trying to prove a story right about how rotten we are, then who are we to do that? See, this is a question that I think many of us have to wrestle with is, who are we if we aren't holding a debt that allowed us to play small? Who are we if we released our past and all the things that we have done and haven't done Would we be willing to step into what's next in front of you? Because if you released that, you might then be responsible to start stepping into the future that God has graciously provided for you. You might be responsible to lay down your need to prove right about how insignificant and small and incapable you are and giving up on yourself to receive the forgiveness that has already been purchased for you. So this is where we find ourselves at times. The entitlement of control the entitlement of trying to prove right who we are and who we aren't based on our past. But then there's this this other one that gets really ugly. And it's just simply the entitlement of looking good. Now that may seem weird, especially in a concept where you're just struggling with all the things you've done or other people have done to you in the past. See, but here's the thing. If we're forgiven at the cross, if God today was to show up and he was to say, you're forgiven. I don't know why you're holding on to it. Feel free if you want to, but it's actually been paid for, covered. You are released from all of this. Then what are we to do with all of our brokenness? What are we to do with all of that stuff inside of us that we wrestle with and we try to deal with in the name of self-forgiveness when we're never actually called to that? If it isn't self-forgiveness, then what is it that we are called to? See, surprisingly, the scriptures Never even ask you to ask for forgiveness. How many of you have this idea in your head that part of your responsibility of your spirituality is to like beg God for his forgiveness or even ask for it? I guarantee you, I've been through this book a few times. You will not find a verse that asks you to even ask for forgiveness. Crazy concept, right? But this is what it does call us to. In 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess our sins, he is then faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. See, we are not called to be people who beg for forgiveness. 
But as followers of Jesus or people who are committed to living by freedom, we are called to live a confessional life. And those are two different things. See, because this is where we are called to live, a space of speaking out freely where we've missed it. Not in the context of shame or self-condemnation or to put ourselves down, but just to say, hey, I am human and I miss it. And I'm going to miss it with my wife and I'm going to miss it with my kids. And I've missed it in the past a thousand times. And guess what? It has no hold on me. And actually, the sign that you have released is your willingness to confess See, this is not trying to forgive ourselves. This is not trying to punish ourselves from the past. It's not even begging for forgiveness. It is simply confessing, hey, this is what's going on for me. Which, for some of us, that's absolutely horrifying. I think it's why we would rather stay in this crazy, chaotic stress ball of trying to forgive ourselves rather than stepping into the light and saying, let me be seen in life. See, it makes so much sense why much of the language around who God is and our relationship with him is in the context of light, that he is the God of light, he is the light of the world that the darkness cannot overcome. See, here's what I found. It's not the things in our past that we struggle with that eventually destroy us. It's the fact that we hold on to them and keep them hidden. It's the fact that we are alone in our room trying to fix them and trying to make them going away and trying to make them all better and trying to forgive ourselves that absolutely kill us because that feels out of control. That might prove another story about us wrong. That might cause us to look bad just for a moment. So out of the fear of looking bad, we keep them in the dark, hidden, tucked away, And we deal with them ourselves, attempting to forgive our own debt. All the while, Jesus is inviting us into the light to confess, to to, to say, hey, this is who I am, and this is what I've struggled with, and these are the things from my past that I wish were not true about me, but they are. And this is what he invites us into. Have you ever confessed something that you felt was like, the, the dragon on your shoulders and you just thought this is so big and it's so heavy and if anyone ever found this out, I, I don't know what would happen to me and then you confess it and then suddenly you realized it wasn't that big a deal yeah. and, and like you confessed it and like the second you confess it, suddenly it loses all of its power. You're like, how how did this go from being the biggest thing that determined my choices and my anxiety and my depression and how I was going to give my life and how I was going to not give myself and how I was going to hold back and all of a sudden you speak it out and then it's gone? I can't tell. Look, in my role, both as a pastor and as a coach, I have people confess things to me all the time. And it always is like this. There's this like overwhelming shame Oftentimes, who won't even look me in the eye? And they're like, I just have something really big to tell you. I just need to get it off my chest. Oh, my gosh. There's heaving and breath and all the things. And half the time, I'm like, what, what is happening? Like, I'm like, I'm all up for it. Let's, let's go. Let's have this out. And then they confess it. 
And half the time, I have to like pretend to be surprised, right? Because I'm like, oh, that is so horrible, right? Because other people are like, that's it? That's what, that's, what, that's what has been holding you back? That's what's been destroying your marriage? That's what's been keeping you from living the life that you were called to? Well, good for you for confessing. Because here's the thing, I guarantee you that those things that you feel are so overwhelming, those things that make you feel less human, or that if you ever shared with anyone else in the world, you would be destroyed, are so small in comparison to the grace and the goodness and the light of God. And when you get them out, they suddenly lose its power. See, it's in the light of God that allows us to both release control, release the need to be right, and realize that we are actually in the same struggle and that grace has overcome all of it. That we no longer need to play that game. And it's so beautiful to watch as people are set free in their confessional life. When they're just like, hey, this is me, and I will continue to confess it and release it because it requires humility and releasing the need to look good so that you can be free in life. Now, you might be saying, Nathan, isn't this all semantics? Like, like, isn't like forgiving yourself the same thing as as releasing? And I'm just going to say it's not, I promise you. They are two very different things. Because as long as you keep attempting to use your energy to forgiving yourself, to releasing yourself from some debt that you think you owe yourself, you will be spinning your wheels until your last breath. Because it is an impossible task. You're incapable of it. It was never your job to do in the first place. And so just notice In those things from your past where you're attempting to to maintain control or attempting to prove a story right or attempting to, to look good for other people by hiding it away, all the while, the message that God has for you so compassionately, so earnestly, so powerfully is, hey, I got it covered. It's no longer yours to hold on to. I want you just to imagine In fact, just close your eyes for a moment as we close out our gathering. I want you just to imagine standing out in a chaotic rainstorm of your past. And that storm is filled with all of the things that you should or shouldn't have done That chaotic storm is filled with all of the things that you did do that you wish you wouldn't have done or that you didn't do that you wish you would have done in relationships and your decisions and how you've given yourself. Maybe it's filled with all the things that you're just like, man, I should have done that. I should have have said that thing. I should have spoken up. I should have helped. I should have forgiven. I should have released. Or maybe the things you shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have, have hit that person. I shouldn't have made that decision. I shouldn't have even entered into that relationship. There's just a storm swirling around you. And I want you just to imagine for a moment that Forgiving yourself is essentially standing out in this chaotic storm of life, attempting to put a tent together to protect you from the elements. And it's a struggle. 
There's wind coming at you. There's rain pouring down. There's lightning. It's just an impossible task and you are struggling and you are working and you are beating yourself up attempting to do this. But I want you just to look over and see that there is a massive cabin with a fireplace that is filled with a warm fire. There's a a giant table filled with a giant feast for you. And I, I want you just to imagine God standing there at the door saying, hey, get in here, my daughter. Get in here, my son. This is, this is not your responsibility. And all this in here is for you. Come on in. I got fire. I got food. I got a giant room for you that will protect you from all of the elements. If you would just be willing to stop putting the stupid tent together in the chaos of life to protect yourself. And you have a choice in that moment. Feel free to continue wasting your time attempting to build a tent in the storm. Or you can lay it all down and recognize that provision has already been made for you. In the same way, forgiveness has already been given to you. Grace has already been given to you. And so you can now lay down the exhausting, impossible, anxiety-ridden work of attempting to forgive yourself. Or you can just meet Jesus at the cross and accept that it's already been covered and walk in that freedom. But the choice is up to you as to how you want to use your energy and your time and your life. And this morning, if, if you have not yet connected to Jesus, and maybe this morning you've noticed, like, man, I have been doing a lot of extra work that was not mine to do. Jesus is waiting for you in that cabin right there. And he's telling you, look, I've already come. I've died for you. I've given up my life and come back, to, come back from the dead so that you could experience the fullness of forgiveness. And if that's you this morning, if, if you're here or if you're online and you're thinking, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to connect to Jesus, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a very long time, would you just raise your hand and say, I'm choosing Jesus this morning. Awesome. Who else is just saying, yeah, I'm ready to connect to Jesus. If you're online, you can just click that button that says, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, you can just put in the comments, Jesus will know what you're talking about. But I want you just to pray this prayer with me. It's, it's not magic words. It's just you connecting to him. And just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. And I accept your forgiveness that's already done. I confess I am broken and I need you. I know that you came for me and you died and you came back to life. And so I make you Lord and I will follow you 
all the days of my life. I thank you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.